right, First Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an emissary of Messiah Yeshua, by the command of God our Savior and Messiah Yeshua, our hope, to Timothy, a true, a true child in faith, grace, mercy, shalom, from God the Father and Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. As I urged you when I was leaving for Macedonia, stay in Ephesus to direct certain people not to pass on different instruction or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These give rise to useless speculations rather than God's training, which is faithfulness. So we have to stick with the training that the apostles gave us. That's the tradition. We're to follow the teachings of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and we are to follow the teachings of the apostles, period. And that there's not supposed to be any teaching that disagrees with the teaching of Yeshua and the teaching of his apostles. And, you know, we really also have to be more comfortable with understanding the fact that there are some things we just simply aren't going to know. And that we just simply have to take God at his word. If God says he's one, he's one. If God never says that he's persons, then he's not persons. You know, God says he's one. And we just have to accept that. We have to accept mystery. And that is the Hebrew Jewish way of thinking about things. Uh, it's part of, part of the Hebrew way of thinking is accepting mystery. In our Western mindset, we think logically and critically and we want everything to be categorized and explained and classified. We want to, you know, be able to classify everything and to, you know, specifically try to categorize and define everything. But there's just certain things you just can't do that, do, do that with. Um, you know, and the scripture teaches us that, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, and that, that's, the, that's the Hebrew Jewish way of thinking. They accept mystery. They just take things based on faith. God says he's one. Okay, he's one. Um, if he never, if three is never associated with him in terms of who he is, his nature and his being, then uh, we shouldn't either. We shouldn't go beyond what the scripture says. And that's what Paul warns about in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Um, when we go beyond what the scripture says, that's how you get all kinds of doctrines, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, um, you know, doctrines in Protestantism that says there's no more gifts of the spirit, no more apostles, no more prophets today, no more miracles, none of that stuff, no more prophesying, uh, no speaking in tongues, none of that stuff. They just, they, they completely strip out um, the gifts of the spirit. And then you have in Catholicism where, you know, they go beyond the scriptures in the sense that they elevate tradition uh, to the end, the magisterium, which is the, the teachings of the bishops, to the same level as scripture, that all three are equal. Um, you know, you have praying to saints and certain things like that, not necessarily praying to them, but, you know, they believe, you know, we believe that they're, uh, they believe that they're, living like, you know, saints living among us today. They believe that, you know, that because it's one church. It is true. And there are church the church is in heaven, the church is on earth, but you know, you don't you don't um you don't find any saints you don't find any saints teaching that. And so we don't want to go beyond what is written. That's what Paul warns about in First Corinthians in chapter four. He says, as I warned you before, 
that we should not go beyond what's written. And that's where our security lies. Our security lies in what is written. Now, of course, there's speculation because there are there were numerous books and, you know, which ones are canon, which ones are not, um, which ones are, you know, which ones are apocryphal, which ones are, you know, heresy, which ones are, you know, there's a whole bunch of speculation. And that's what Paul is warning us against right here. He's like, you know, get away from all these speculations and genealogies and useless, get away from all that, you know, get away from all these things. All these things, he says, all these things, these attentions, the myths and endless, endless genealogies and all this stuff, these give rise to useless speculations rather than God's training, which is in faithfulness. And that's what we need. We need faithfulness to the commandments of Yeshua. That's what we have to have. And anything that the apostles wrote that disagree, and that's part of, you know, probably how they decided which books to put in the Bible, because there were some, quote unquote, gospels out there, some letters that contradicted the teachings of, uh, you know, of, of Christ. There were, you know, they weren't you know, they were teaching all kinds of, you know, some books said like Gnosticism and all kinds of other things in it. But anyway, I'm not trying to get into all that. The point that we're trying to get at here is the fact that holiness is the only way. God's training is in what? Faithfulness to the teaching, instruction, and example of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. And that's what really matters. It's a whole lot easier to say, oh, the Protestants are doing this. That's why I don't want anything to do with them. Oh, the Catholics are doing that. That's why I don't want anything to do with them. Well, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, if you're not faithful to the life and teaching and becoming like Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah, then you're going to hell. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do or what church you sit in. And, um, and so this is what we're trying to say is that we, our training is in faithfulness to the life of the Lord Yeshua. And that's what the apostles pointed to. The apostles pointed to the, to the life and teaching of Yeshua, Mary. For the Catholics pointed to the life and teaching of Yeshua. So that's what we all need to agree on, to be just like Yeshua. And so this is what he's saying. Now, the goal of this command, what's the goal of faithfulness? Is Are we just being faithful just for faithful sake? No. He says, now, the goal of this command is love from of a pure heart and a clear conscience and genuine faith. That's where love comes from. <coughs> Excuse me. All love comes from a pure heart. And we talked about that before. A pure heart, that means a heart that is cleansed from sin, a heart that's cleansed from wickedness. And and that's a journey, that's a process, because over the years, we of our own doing and our exposure to the world and in society, we have been exposed to unprecedented wickedness. I mean, it's ubiquitous. We, we see wickedness everywhere. It's on the TV. It's in the music. It's in the pictures. It's in the billboards. It's in, our, it's in our culture. It's in our politics. It's everywhere. Wickedness and iniquity is everywhere. And so it's up to the believer to make the decision to, as Second Corinthians in chapter 3 gives us the command, to come out from among them and be separate, to set ourselves apart from the world. And that's how the, the purification process begins. You can't, you know, you can't purify your heart constantly watching movies, TV, and listening to music that, ha- that are about killing, cussing, and sex and unchristlikeness. You can't do it. Cartoons, whatever they are, you can't be doing that playing video games that are violent or ungodly, unholy. You just can't do it. You cannot purify your heart 
by putting trash in there. That's that's almost like me trying to clean out a landfill and I'm trying to clean it out and empty it, but yet the dump truck keeps coming and dumping trash into it. That's 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 foolishness. That's a fool's errand. And so we we can't do that. We have to empty the landfill and don't put any more trash back in it. And that's how we get a pure heart. And and then we fill up that heart with the word of God, with the lives of holy and godly men and women who did what pleases the Lord so we can learn how to imitate their example. Not externally, you know, like how they dressed or how they wore their beard and all this stuff, trying to just copy them. No, we want to imitate how they got victory over sin. We want to imitate their holy and godly inner life. That's how we want. That's what we want to learn from. And so a pure heart, a clear conscience, what is that? What's a clear conscience? The Bible says, he says, now the goal of this command is a love from a pure heart and a clear conscience. Well, a clear conscience convicts us of our wrongdoing. Um, when we are, if, if our senses are trained, the Holy Spirit will speak to us in our consciences. That's exactly what he'll do. And he says, uh, if you look at Romans 2 and chapter 15, he says, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. And that's what the conscience does. Their conscience either accuses us or it bears witness of us. It, it, it either accuses us or defends us. It either accuses us or defends us, one of the two. It either tells us that we're doing right or it tells us that we're doing wrong. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He speaks to our conscience. He tells us that we're doing something right. He tells us that we're doing something wrong. And, and so the Holy Spirit speaks to us through that. He also speaks to us directly. Um, he, we, when we are convicted, we'll feel pain. There's a pain that we'll feel when we're convicted. There's a sense of guilt or shame about a thing. Or we'll be convicted emboldened. And the Holy Spirit will embolden you. He'll give you a conviction that emboldens you to do the right thing. And so that's what our conscience does. A clear And so what a clear conscience is, is what Paul's talking about, is that when the Holy Spirit tells me that something is wrong, that I'm doing something wrong, <clears throat> what does he do? What does that mean? How do I respond to that? I respond by doing what? By repenting. I acknowledge I'm wrong. I say, I'm sorry. I say, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I don't want to ever do that again. That's how we clear our conscience. The Holy Spirit tells you, you need to go and apologize to this brother. You need to go and apologize to this sister. You, instead of saying, well, Lord, something is wrong with them and it's their fault. And oh, they doing this to me and they did that to me. No, you go and you apologize. You make it right. When the Holy Spirit shows you something in your life that's wrong, that's against him, then what do you do? A clear conscience says, I'm, to get a clear conscience, we say, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to correct my wrong. And that's how you keep a clear conscience before God. You find that in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. Paul says, in view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, both before God and before men. And, and what is he talking about there? And just in the previous verse, he's talking about, in the context, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, in light of the resurrection of the dead, I do my best to always maintain a blameless conscience. That means when the Holy Spirit is telling me that I'm doing something wrong, 
I immediately repent. I do something about it. I say, yes, Lord, that's right. I'm going to make it right. (coughs) And so that's what getting a clear conscience is. Getting a clear conscience means that I'm always acknowledging when I'm wrong. And then lastly, a genuine faith. What is genuine faith? Genuine faith means that I hate evil. Period. You don't have no genuine faith without hating evil. And faith, genuine faith is also obedience, which is also hating evil. That's what <clears throat> that's what sincere, that's what genuine faith is. Genuine faith <clears throat> is denying myself, taking up my cross and following him. That's that's what obedience is. The Bible says the in in Romans in chapter 1 in Romans in chapter 1, Paul speaks of speaks to the Romans about the obedience of faith. He says in where is that? Yeah, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, he says through him we have received grace and the office of emissary or the apostleship to bring about obedience of faith among all the nations on behalf of his name. So faith is directly connected to obedience. You see the same thing repeatedly. You look at that in Hebrews in chapter 11 in the hall in the, the, the hall of faith, the hall of fame, the faith hall of fame. You find all those people who are listed in there did something to obey. If you look at Abraham, Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees to, to go to a land he didn't even know about. He didn't even know he were where he was going, the Bible says. He had no idea where he was going. Noah, same thing, the Bible says he was moved with holy fear, built the ark. God told him it was going to rain. God told him build an ark. He built it. You find the same example with Moses repeatedly, and especially in, what is that, Exodus in chapter 36, the Lord said to do this, so he did it, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, so did he. And, um, and, and what happened? The glory fell. And if, <clears throat> if, you look at, if you look at Exodus in chapter 39, that's, that's, the, that's the example. Seven, um, you, find it, you find this repeatedly. You find it seven times where when Moses is constructing the tabernacle, he obeys precisely as God says, precisely. And, that, and who's the tabernacle? That's us. And so the question what we're supposed to learn from this is, is how do I get the glory of God in my life? How do I get the presence and the glory of God in my life more in a greater way? I have strict obedience to what the Lord tells me to do. The Bible says it seven times. Now, next they made woven garments of blue, purple, and scarlet for ministering in the holy holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron. That's verse one, as as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse five, um, and he did it, as the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded Moses, verse 7, um, verse 21, then they bound the breastplate by the rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue thread so that it would rest on the artfully woven band and not be loosened from the ephod. As the Lord commanded Moses, verse 26, you find the same thing. As the Lord commanded Moses, they did it. As the Lord commanded Moses, verse 30, they did it. As, as, as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 32, 
what what the Lord had commanded Moses, they did it just so. And then verse 42, finally, according to everything that the Lord had commanded Moses, so Israel, had, the sons of Israel had done all the work just so. And when Moses saw the entire work and they had done it just as the Lord commanded them, then Moses blessed them. And then what happened? Exodus 40 and verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord, Adonai, filled the tabernacle. And Moses was unable to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So you see, that's how we get the glory of God in our life. The obedience of faith. You see, it's not, it's, it, it, we're too, in, in the West, we're too intellectual. We want to question everything. We want to question everything. We want to question everything. Why? Why, Lord? Why are you having me do this? Why should I do this? Why does it have to be like this? Why does it have to be like that? There's always a challenging of authority, always this questioning, 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 because it really just comes from unbelief, really. We're always questioning God. It's not a matter of questioning like, well, Lord, how can I obey this? How do you want me to do this? How can I? No, it's questioning why should I be doing that? That's what we're always doing. We're always questioning God as to why should I be doing what he says instead of just doing what he says and trusting him and watching the result. You see, that's how we are in the West. We're always questioning God. Why should I be obedient to you? <clears throat> but, the, but that's not faith. Faith says I will obey you. I understand what you want me to do. I might not understand why you want me to do it, but I understand what you want me to do and I'm going to do it. And that's and I, and then I do it. And that is the obedience of faith. There are plenty of things in the scriptures that are completely beyond our reason. Why in the world would God send his only son into the world <laughs> to save us? Why would he why would he not do it about it some other way? Why would he why would he say that lambs and these things have to be sacrificed. Well, I mean, if <clears throat> none of the children of Israel could see the full plan of salvation unfolding in the Old Testament, all those feasts that pointed to Yeshua, the Messiah, they didn't know that that's where it was going. But God was showing us he was putting the pieces together like a puzzle box. He was putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And the final picture of all those pieces being put together would be Yeshua saving the whole world. You see, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is like a, a puzzle box. It's like, it's like puzzle pieces. All throughout the scriptures are just puzzle pieces. And when you put those pieces together, the picture you get is Yeshua. But they, <clears throat> but, had, had, but see, that's what I'm saying. Had the people, Abraham, been questioning and doubting, Moses always questioning and unbelieving, Ezekiel, all these prophets questioning and not wanting to do what God said, had they done that, we'd have never gotten the full picture. You see, so a, a genuine faith is about obeying. That's what the obedience, that's what genuine faith is. It's obedience and it's hating evil. And so, and, and what do those three ingredients get? Again, using the puzzle box illustration, when you put those three pieces together, a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith, what picture do you get? You get the picture of love. That's love. A pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. Some try to have this worldly understanding of love like it's just feelings and sex and emotion. and this and that. It's not any of that. All of those things are just fruits of love. That's just fruit of love. Affection and love and kindness, those are, uh, those are the few fruits of love. But genuine love is pure. It comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. 
That's where love comes from. And then everything that you do is going to be pure. Everything that you do is going to be of sincere faith. Everything. Everything that you do is going to be with a clear conscience. You see, that's love. The three ingredients together make up love. You can't have one without the other. And that's how Yeshua lived his entire life. He lived his entire life with a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere in faith in God's commandments. And that's why the Bible says, I know, the God, Yeshua says, I know that God's commands lead to everlasting life. That's genuine faith. He always kept his conscience clear because the Bible says, I always, Yeshua says, I always do what pleased the Father. And his heart was pure. He was perfectly pure. And you saw that on the Mount Transfiguration when his clothes were per perfectly white. What was the inner purity, the inner holiness that he was, was manifested on the outside. And so this is what we want. We want to be a, of a pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. We don't want any unholiness or ungodliness in our life. We want to stay away from foolish arguments because the only argument is, how can I be holy and stop sinning? That's the point. And anything that does not measure up to the lifestyle of our Lord Jesus Christ, his holiness, Yeshua the Messiah, his holiness, his purity, his godliness, anything that does not line up with that, we can all dismiss that automatically out of hand as false doctrine. Because that's what God is after. God is after us being transformed into the image of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ, period. And anything that goes against that, anything that goes against that eternal plan of God to make us think, speak, and behave like Yeshua is, needs to be thrown out. Anything that takes us off that course is false doctrine because that is God's goal for us. Everything in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about that. All about that. From the verse one all the way through, it's all about becoming like Yeshua. And so that's what we have to do. We, we, we need to make our focus not on when we, need to, when we need to worship, not on how many cups, one cup or many, not on, <clears throat> not, we don't need to be focusing on oneness or trinity. We don't need to be focusing on that. Those things are interesting by side conversations that we need to have, but that's nothing that we need to split over. It's nothing that we need to be arguing about. What we need to be focusing on is how can I be like Messiah? How can I think like him? How can I speak like him? How can I behave like him? How can I be more submissive? How can to the to the leading of the Holy Spirit? How can I get sin out of my life? That's how we do this. Holiness is the holiness is the only way. And that is the way that Yeshua has taken us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the true love. Pure heart, a clear conscience, and sincere faith. Kick sin out of our life, Father, and help us to be right with you. We love you and praise you in Yeshua's name. We want to hallow your name. That's why we ask, because we want to hallow you in our life, in our home, in our private life, our thoughts, our desires. Help us, Father, in Yeshua's name. Amen.